If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today we're going to introduce Tim Mather, who is a vet, I should say Dr. Tim Mather, who's a vet, but in particular we're going to talk to him about equine dental services. So I'm sure he's got a lot of interesting things and also his view on the education and the changing education within horse dentistry or within the horse industry and what we as horse owners can do to assist our horses. But first of all, how are you anyway, Tim? I'm very well, thank you. Tim, I didn't warn you beforehand. I normally ask people straight up for a favourite quote, you know, something that you might find yourself repeating to people all the time, something that's inspired you or influenced you with horses. Do you have anything that comes to mind that you might say to people again and again and again and again so that it's almost like your quote, even though it might be a quote from someone else? Well, it's actually Paul J. Myers' quote who wrote a a treatise on the dynamics of personal motivation back in the 1980s, I think, or it might have even been the 70s. Mm-hmm. But he just says that success is the progressive achievement of worthwhile goals. Yes. And I think that that is what uh, I try and do. Uh, I don't try and do anything um, straight away. I just one step at a time. And I think that's it too because it's the progressive achievement, not just, great, I achieved it, but it's the progressive achievement. It's the progressive achievement that is important. Yes, yes, yes. Now, how has that helped you within what you're doing within the horse industry at the moment? Well, I became involved with horse industry back in the early 2003 when I was asked to assist an equine dentist in Western Australia mm-hmm. and um, because he uh, while he's internationally qualified he's not allowed to uh, give the sedation that is required to do proper whole mouth corrective dentistry mm-hmm. so I started working with uh, Mr Ian Wharton who is a master dentist trained in Idaho and uh, he actually ran the College of Equine Dentistry in Australia and produced a number of graduates who are now currently working in Australia. And uh, over the years, we have tried to uh, introduce internationally recognised qualifications that uh, have been thwarted a little bit by um, other professionals who don't believe that... Uh, it's possible for a one who hasn't got a tertiary education degree to actually learn how to do this craft. Now, of course, uh, John Dawkins, when uh, he changed the educa- tertiary education system in 1987, he downgraded the worth of 
trades within Australia and augmented the, uh, uh, the professionalism of people who have a degree. And uh, this has caused all sorts of problems for Australia and there's a reason behind the uh, 457 visa issue where we don't have anybody people in Australia um, qualified to do a whole lot of different trade jobs. So what we are trying to do through Skills Impact and the Education Department is to try and rebalance this situation. Um, and uh, currently there is a survey going around the horse industry to find out uh, what horse owners are doing for their uh, professional uh, services that have been offered around uh, and who who they are you what they are using who they're using and what for what purposes and uh, and this is hopefully going to uh, provide the government with some good information about what what we need to do to try and improve the quality of the education that is currently being delivered within Australia for people who are servicing the horse industry. Yes, I was going to say that survey, it's not just for dentistry, it's for other services used uh, all, within the horse all industry. All services. Mm. It's, it's, mm. it's absolutely everything. It's, it's the people who are doing bone therapy. It's the people who are doing manipulative therapy. It's the veterinarians who are doing the surgeries and the other services that they each offer. And, uh, and what we're trying to do is work out how it is, how best to provide the best quality service so that the horse owners and trainers that are currently not receiving the best services can have those services improved. Okay. Now, the survey, we might put a link at the bottom of your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Tim Mather, or just go to horsechats.com, search for Tim, search for Mather, and possibly even search for survey um, and you'll find that those details. Yeah. Tim, tell us briefly, you said about, I think, 1987, the trades were downgraded. Just tell us really briefly about that and the 457 visa, because I think that 457 visa and the challenges with it, it is important for, you know, we have at uh, International Horse College, we have students who are interested in, and we do some work with their visas to help them get visas and I think this has got a little bit of an impact for those people. So would you be able to um, briefly explain that? Well, my, my understanding, and I, I was involved with the uh, Murdoch University around about this time, but in 1987, the then treasurer, uh, Mr. John Dawkins, decided that, uh, he, that he would upgrade technical colleges, nursing colleges, teachers' training colleges, and made them all universities. So there were 12 universities, and he created 35 universities. And immediately, that meant that all the people who were being technically trained in the technical industries mm -hmm. all of a sudden got uh, bachelor degrees. And if I can just use the nursing industry as an example of one of the unintended consequences, um, as soon as a, a nurse graduated with a bachelor, well, a, a nurse with a bachelor's degree with an academic qualification are very reluctant to change bed 
pans or to um, wipe fevered bra- uh, brows. And mm-hmm. so that the unintended consequence for the nursing industry that there was immediately an extra layer of service provider placed between the doctor and the patient. And this had the uh, unintended effect of decreasing the service that was being offered to the patient and increasing exponentially the cost of healthcare services within Australia. And uh, interestingly, Tanya Plibersek, in recent uh, months, she's the deputy um, Labor leader, has been saying it's time that we upgraded the value of technical training mm-hmm. and um, and uh, improved the um, the availability and the identification of exactly what is needed. And the um, there was a recent report, the Jones report, um, into technical and uh, vocational education and training. And the federal government at the moment is evaluating uh, how they are going to implement the recommendations from that report. Okay. Now, how does this affect the 457 visa? Well, if you don't have people trained in technical areas Mm -hmm. and there isn't anybody in Australia who can do it, you have to get it from overseas. Okay. And so there is a list of trades that we do not have sufficient numbers of and uh, they come in on a four, five, seven visa. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That that explains a little bit. So that I've got some answers for people who do talk to us about visas and the qualifications yep. to get visas, which we do a few. Now, this whole dentistry. You talked about Ian Wharton and working with him. Now, lots of yep. vets will work with a dentist and just go out, do their work with a dentist, then can move on. What made it on that particular day or maybe ongoing after that that you worked with Ian Wharton and then you decided that that was the path? Because you're already a vet. What was, you know, yes. and that was your area of specialisation. What was it um, on that day or what made you decide then to go down the dentistry route as a specialisation? Well, I'm not the dentist. I'm, I am just a veterinarian oh, okay. who is so you're the supporting in, yes, yes. in okay. safety. I'm, I, so mm-hmm. so um, Ian Wharton is a master dentist. Yes. And he, I, I received the normal veterinary training in equine dentistry, mm-hmm. which enabled me to be able to handle a hand float and rasp models. Mm-hmm. Now, that is the limit of undergraduate veterinary education. Now, around about the 1990s, early 2000s, the veterinary profession decided that this was not good enough, and so they, uh, a few uh, people in the veterinary profession who had an interest in equine dentistry decided that they thought that a postgraduate course in equine dentistry was needed and they provided a five-day course. And the result of that course, they were given a postgraduate qualification in veterinary dentistry, equine dentistry. Now, I don't know what you think or what anybody else thinks, but I I have a problem that I don't think that five days is sufficient time for someone to learn how to handle 
a very, very powerful motorised instrument, which they call power tools, mm-hmm. to be able to handle them well enough to be able to put them into a horse's mouth and create a fully functional equine mouth um, within five days. I think that you need hundreds of mouths that you need to practice on yep. before you gain the skill. And this is what we've been trying to argue for some time, that what we need to do is to, we need to change the training mm-hmm. so that people who want to use motorised instruments, we, we use the term motorised instruments, the veterinary profession use the term power tools. I actually think the motorised instrument is better because a motorised instrument is something that weighs possibly 250 to 400 grams, whereas a power tool is something that weighs about 2.3 kilograms. And I think that something that weighs 2.3 kilograms is probably a little bit more difficult to handle and to control when you're trying to do some very delicate work, you know, being uh, micro-millimetre accurate within a horse's mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, what we've, what we've been trying to do over the last 15 or 16 years is trying to convince the authorities that this is what is going to be the best animal welfare outcome. Yes, yes, and I think it, that's, that's important. I'm just wondering, you know, Ian Wharton, to, get, to become a master dentist, how long did he train for and study for? Well, my understanding, he had an initial two years course. Yes. And this, and this, this is just focused on dentistry, not general vet, just this dentistry. Is just, this yep. is just doing the horse's mouth. Yes. Just the mouth. Yep. And, and, and it's a course that involves uh, several weeks of theory followed by several months of practice. And my understanding is he used to travel all over America and Australia under the auspices of a qualified dentist. And they taught him how to recognize the pathology, how to recognize and to um, change the shape of the teeth so that they became fully functional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after a two-year period, he was then assessed by an international qualified equine dentist who pronounced that he was okay. You know, he he passed the exams. He then went on and did further work, and subsequently went back and did a master's in equine dentistry, such that he's now got the qualification master equine dentist. Okay. And there are there are only I understand eight dentists in Australia that have the same level of qualification in Australia. Okay. And none of them and none of them are vets. Okay, that's interesting. So my my yes. my, yes. my uh, feeling is that if you if you own a horse, you should make sure that any equine dentists that you are employing, you ask them, do they have a certificate for in equine dentistry that is internationally recognised? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they have that in Australia, they are teaching cert for equine dentistry, which is internationally recognised as a qualification. But to my knowledge, there are only eight, and we're hoping to graduate another seven in July next year. Okay. Um, but um, there are other courses available, but they are not internationally recognised. They're only recognised within Australia. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, 
that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Tell us about someone entering a course. You know, I want to enter a course. What skills do they need to be able to enter a course in the t- a two-year course in equine dentistry or, or the, a particular course? And not just that, do they need horse skills? But what sort of person do they need to be? Because we often talk about core skills and character traits, you know, because someone might come in with, and I see it all the time. As a coach, I see it all the time, and I see it within our courses that people come in, they might have all the experience with horses in the world, but if they don't have a good study ethic, if they don't have a good work ethic, if they don't have lots of things, they don't do as well as someone who comes in with possibly less skills who does do well. What sort of person is going to do well? as an equine dentist? Well, I think the defining skill, and I don't know whether you call it a skill or not, Mm. is motivation. Yes. You must want to do what you're wanting to do. Anybody can learn anything if they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, some things are more difficult than others, but if you're really, really wanting to do something, You can do it, and anybody can do it, especially if you are a person who has good hand-eye coordination because you can't – if if you just have a brain but but can't thread a needle, you know, that that is a physical skill that is required for equine dentistry. Equine dentistry is like uh, comparing a carpenter and a cabinet maker. Mm-hmm. When anybody can take a, a rasp and run it up and down the side of a molar, okay, that's carpentry. But to be a, a corrective dentist, you need to be a cabinet maker. Mm-hmm. And cabinet making, you've got to have absolutely perfect joints. Those teeth must be exactly at the right line. If you're going to be working on the incisors, which if if you've taken an edge off a a thing of molars and you don't do adjust the uh, incisors, for instance, you're automatically going to increase the pressure on the incisors and cause problems. So what you need to do is you need to balance the mouth so that the the pressure on the molars and the incisors is exactly the same. And that takes skill to work that out. Yes. And it doesn't happen just in a day or two. No. You've got to work it out. You need to be trained by someone who knows what they're doing. Because if if you've never done it before, you can't just say, well, you've then got to balance the mouth Mm. full stop. Well, Mm -hmm. how do I do that, doctor? (laughs) You see what I mean? Yes. So, you know, it, it, is, it is a physical skill. And the wonderful, wonderful thing about biology is that if you restore 
good function through whatever means, most disease disappears. Mm-hmm. So we've got a horse that's topping its, uh, tossing its head or its uh, hooves aren't uh, well trimmed. You get in your dentist, you get in your farrier, and you've still got the problems, and then you start getting the Bowen therapist or you get the manipulative therapist, and you think, what's going on? You know, my horse isn't doing well. If you then get a proper qualified equine medicine and they restore the mouth properly so that the full function is working, then all of a sudden the pathology disappears and the horse can suddenly feed properly. It's needing less food because its teeth are functioning properly and and the mouth is working. Then all of a sudden the weight goes on even though you're having to feed less food. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, the important thing is to get good qualified people who know what they're doing and not getting amateurs in who don't know what they're doing. And the biggest problem is with having amateurs is that they, they think they know what they're doing. They say, yes, we've solved the problem, but in fact they haven't. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're talking, what, what skill you're talking about. And, and the, one of the biggest problems I've found with the horse industry is that they don't talk to each other. You know, the Olympic jumpers don't talk to the Gymkhana people, don't talk to yes. the barrel racing people, don't talk to the harness people, don't talk to the thoroughbreds. Mm. So the big problem with the horse industry is communication, or should I say a lack of communication. And if we could somehow solve that problem so that horse people respected the knowledge that others can bring, then all of a sudden we can increase the knowledge that everybody has gained. Mm, Look, I'd have to agree with you there, Tim. I'd absolutely have to. I think that's probably part of why Horse Chats was born. You know, I've worked in a few different areas in in the horse industry, you know, I've sort of been a vet nurse, I've done racing, I've, you know, been an eventer, so which includes, of course, dressage and, and jumping. I've come up through Pony Club, I've done gym carners, I've, um, you know, driven harness horses. I've sort of done a bit of everything and I'm really interested to talk to people across disciplines, but it is amazing. It is amazing. I just was talking to Taryn Warren and she was talking about being a judge for jumping equitation and her skills go across different disciplines. You know, the information she's got that she wants to share, the information that you've got is going across anyone with horses. So a lot of the information that people come with, it goes across different disciplines, and I think that's so important for people to realise. You know, a horse is a horse is a horse. And this is why we're Mm. working on getting training in horse management, which goes right across the whole gamut of people who are involved in the horse industry. The Australian horse industry is one of the most pervasive industries in Australian society. Mm -hmm. Everybody is in it. I mean, if you look around at the weekends, the number of people who are driving horse trailers left, right and centre. Oh, yes. You know, it is just quite incredible. When when the the, uh, 2007 equine influenza outbreak the government was absolutely staggered at how pervasive the equine industry was. Mm. And we were very, very good. The veterinary profession did a fantastic job 
in managing to get rid of equine influenza. Yes, definitely. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. Mm. Um, it was a fantastic... It's the first time in the world yep. that we were able to rid our nation of a disease that is absolutely endemic everywhere else. Yes, yes. It was very good. Yep, yep. Well, you're just bringing in so many other points. You know, we're going to talk about dentistry, but you just, you know, you're right across the whole industry yourself. Um, well, you know, the thing is, dentistry is just one aspect mm. of um, of horse care, which, okay, we're focusing on dentistry because dentistry traditionally has not been done very well. But um, there are a whole lot of other things. You know, the training of horses... There are so many different methods that are espoused as being the best way to look after a horse. But really, treating a horse with respect and helping it achieve what you want it to do with its cooperation will get a much better outcome than trying to fight it and belting it Mm. into submission. Yes. And I see so many trainers and horse handlers not doing the right thing, but, you know, you can't, you can't say anything, mm. you know. Look, you, I, I you think as, up, yeah, as good trainers keep getting better results, people are starting to realise that, you know, maybe what was quite prolific, you know, think about when, when people first came to Australia and brought horses and getting in wild horses and sort of roping them down and, choking until they're almost dead and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. That's just on its way out. It's, it well and truly is. And I think as um, there's more research into equine science, I think that those methods are, and it is slow, it's sort of going along for centuries, but it is slow, but I think that it's getting better and the best way to continue to get it better is through education. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Now, I've got a question about your motorised instruments, and I just want to check this. So you're saying that we don't need to be a vet to use motorised instruments on a horse's teeth as long as you've got the correct training and education and experience to be able to use that. Is that correct or not correct? That That is, you can do it. Mm. I mean, it is possible that you can use motorised instruments because if you have the motor skills to be able to do it, mm-hmm. you will do a good job if you have been trained by someone who knows what they're doing. I think that's the key, isn't it, if you have been trained? Yes, if you have been trained. But also, the horse needs to be sedated. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't use motorised instruments without sedation. Okay, so do we need to be a vet for that? Under current legislation... Okay. A veterinarian must do the sedation. Mm, and that's what you're trying to change, is it? Well, I'm not trying to change it, but what yeah. I'm trying to do is to make the authorities aware mm. that uh, Aboriginal rangers are using sedation, mm-hmm. shearers are using sedation, okay. yep. Um, yep. the laboratory uh, technicians are using anaesthetics and sedation, so mm-hmm. you don't actually need a degree in veterinary science to sedate, yes. so long as you have been trained in how to use sedation. Yes. And lots of different professions use sedation, mm. and so there is no reason why horse dentistry is the only industry 
that does not allow non-veterinarians to sedate. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not logical. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. You see what I mean? Yes. You know, but I'm not trying. I'm not trying to advocate one way or the other. Okay. I'm just saying, if you are going to legislate. Mm, make sure that your legislation is consistent yes. across the board. So if only veterinarians are allowed to sedate, then that should be the case in the research labs, mm. in the uh, on the farm and, and everywhere else. Yeah. But that's not the case. Mm. You know, mm. Lots and lots of different people are using station. Lots and lots of people are using euthanasia solutions that are non-veterinarians. So you've got to be consistent. Yes. Now, just thinking about this legislation, and it's really about educating the public, educating horse owners, educating people about what they can do, can't do, what's available, not available. What's been your biggest challenge in trying to get that education out there? Um, Convincing certain members of the public that it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's almost educating people that they need to be educated. Is that what it is? Well... When we've proposed diploma standard education for horse dentists, there were 400 responses from a particular profession mm-hmm. that were opposing it. Oh, okay. And when they and when they looked at the reasons for opposition, there was actually no connection between the reasons for opposition and what was being proposed. So. This poses a problem for education and authorities because they say, well, we're getting all of these objections. How can we resolve this situation? And that's part of the reason why we're doing a survey. Yes. Because we, we actually need to know, well, what do the clients want? You know, I mean, clients are probably the most important stakeholders in the entire thing, you know, forgetting about the horse. I mean, they're the number one. Yes. But the next person who is most important is the client. What does the client want? And so we're doing this survey and we've got lots and lots of responses and over the next few months those responses will be Mm analysed and then we'll be able to work forward, work our way through exactly what is happening, um, what does the client want, and then we'll be able to go to the politician and say, okay, this is what uh, the industry is saying to us. Let's try and put something in place that they want and we and, and raise the standards of education. Because it's all about that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to raise standards. Yes, yes, okay. All right, and I'm just thinking for people that are looking for that link, go to horsechats.com, search for Tim, search for Mather, and down the bottom of the page you'll see a survey and uh, that link, you'll see a link that will take you directly to the survey. So as horse owners, to improve our knowledge, you know, thinking about the base of horse owners, what can we do to improve our knowledge? We're going to go along, we're going to do the survey, but is there anything else we can do? Um... I guess have a look at skills impact Mm -hmm. and what packages there are available already in educating horse people who are involved in the industry on what courses are available and where they are available. Okay. Because there are an awful lot of skills service organisations 
and registered training organisations who provide training in various aspects in in different states. And I can't give you off the top of my head all the registered training organisations, but they are out there. You know, I think that's where um, International Horse College is a good place to start because we don't have anything in horse dentistry, but we do have lots of other complementary courses. You know, we don't have anyone in horse dentistry because we don't have anyone qualified to teach it, and that's probably that's right. the big thing. You know, um, you need to be and qualified. And this is, this is yeah. a problem. Mm. And, and the, other, the other problem is that we don't have very many people who can assess yes, in Australia. exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We're sort of going through lots of um, lots of hassles. You know, we're doing lots of uh, work with the changing of the coaching training packages, and um, people have got coaching skills, equestrian coaching skills, being very good riders, very good competitors, very good coaches, but they still need to have training and assessment qualifications. And um, you know, sometimes people are a bit reluctant to do that, but I think you know, with support, then and they see that that's really the best way to do it to get it all so that. We're a bit more consistent across the board, um, you know, and, and working on that whole horse welfare and safety that we talked about before. I think that's just yep. so important. If everyone's working towards horse welfare, people safety, you know, we're sort of getting on the right track there. Yeah, well, that's, that's what that 730 report was all about, was mm. improving horse welfare. Yes, yes. I've got another question for you, Tim, before we go. And I know that we're in a state of fluctuation, but equine dentistry last century, equine dentistry now, and equine dentistry, what you would like to see in the future? Right. Well, equine dentistry in the 20th century mm. was mainly done, well, up until the middle of the century, there were equine dentists and veterinarians working alongside each other and uh, doing basically the same stuff with hand tools. Mm-hmm. Motorised instruments did not come into common usage until the latter part of the 20th century in common usage, and they were certainly never used, to my knowledge, in Australia. Okay. But then, in the 1990s, equine dentists started to do motorised dentistry and there was a an American dentist came out and taught a few vets and uh, lay dentists and so there was a group of about five veterinarians, six perhaps, who said we can do this, we'll, we'll, we will improve the standard of uh, equine dentistry mm-hmm. and they started teaching at the university and at, uh, at private courses Yep, and that's the five day course that I was talking ah, about Okay, but in the meantime from about 1830 through to about 1999 the lay equine dentists were still doing exactly what they'd always done with a great deal of skill Mm-hmm. And more and more of them started using motorised instruments. People like um, the Waring Brothers, um, Ian Wharton, Belinda Smith, and um, they have been providing whole-of-mouth corrective dentistry 
outside of the veterinary profession. And uh, what I'm hoping to see in years to come is that more veterinarians and more lay dentists will work beside each other as part of a team that is delivering the best quality service for the horse itself. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't need to be a veterinarian to be a dentist, and you don't need to be a dentist to be a veterinarian. In fact, in the the human field, we have two completely different professions. Yes. The dentistry profession takes years to... uh, um, to get a degree in the medical profession takes six years. Mm. Now, I don't think that you probably need uh, five years or four years to do an equine dentistry course, but I do think that you need a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that if we can get the professions working together, we will get a very, very cost-effective, efficient, high-quality internationally recognised profession, professional service being provided to the 1.8 million horses that we have in Australia. Yep. 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 And if we're improving that, yeah, working with horses, improving dentistry for horses, which is going to improve the, the horse welfare, I think we're sort of well and truly on the right track. Yeah. That's the ideal world. Yep. Tim, before I thank you and um, say goodbye to you, I just want to remind everyone about that survey and how important it is just to have an input into what you're doing with your horse and what complementary services and, you know, I mean, it's your what you want to happen and what's currently happening is um, part of the survey. I think if you can do that, that would be wonderful. And I think that's almost like a bit of a challenge that, um, you know, can we challenge you to do that? within the next 24 hours, you know, just get there, get in there straight away. If you can't do it right now, then just go ahead and, and put it on your diary, you know, your things to do, your alarm, whatever, to do sometime in the next 24 hours and uh, so that you get a good response right across horse um, horse people so we really know what's going on there. Um, Tim, I've, I've got to say goodbye at the moment, but I would love to have you back on again. I'm sure we can talk a lot more about lots of things because you've pretty much got a wide variety of knowledge there that's all relevant to horses. So thanks for coming on and hopefully we'll talk to you sometime very soon. It's been a great pleasure, Glenis. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks, Tim. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 